0: Good afternoon ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a new ongoing series of campaign diaries about our Lamentations of the Flame Princess campaign. This segment, I guess, on our podcast is going to be for anyone that wants to follow along with the campaign and keep up with the the story that's going on. Usually we'd obviously do this in the What You've Been Playing section of our main podcast The thing is, is that a lot of people complain that that's too long and things like this. So, what you've been slaying will now consist of any extracurricular games that we've done. For example, at a con, a one-shot at a mate's house, things like this. So, we can talk about what we liked about that setting or system during the podcast. And we'll also talk about things that we've bought and purchased. um, Just so that you guys can get an idea as to some cool products and things like that that are out there. Or different settings, you know, things like that. So, that's kind of the point of this. And with this campaign diary sort of my hope is that a you'll be entertained by the story and of course b this kind of may give you some ideas for your campaigns so that's kind of the my thinking behind it this is lamentations of the flame princess campaign diary number 1 the green wedding The region that the campaign takes place in, Alfinland, is at war, specifically a civil war. Alfinland's ruler, Lord Alfin, is known as a fair, just, but somewhat hot-headed leader. Nonetheless, people believe in him, mainly because his father and predecessor was a fool who made mostly terrible decisions, and raised taxes to an unbelievable degree. This was all to fund his wild drinking and partying habits. Now in the region's capital, Dolmve, things are uneasy. The city is a vast sprawl of shops, houses and alleyways, and every nook and cranny of these places is filled with rumblings of an imminent attack from the enemy, a massive army of barbarians led by a mad sorcerer. You see, the war has been waging on for years upon years, but it's been seven months since the barbarians from Moor attacked en masse. The last battle left many casualties on either side, and while the enemies may be gearing up for another assault. Alfin's army are glad for the rest while the quiet period lasts. The origins of the war are strange, previously the Barbarians of Maw had no quarrel with Lord Alfin or his people, and then a powerful sorcerer named Morden previously unknown to anyone appeared, conquered Moor, and convinced the Barbarians that he could lead them to glory. How did he do this? Well that's something that Lord Alfin is trying to figure out. So our campaign starts in the midst of this strange and uneasy time. It is the wedding day of Xenia Alfin, Lord Alfin's daughter. She's marrying Volwin Caleth. Volwin is the son of Lord Estelar Caleth, the leader of an elven faction whose city is in a very strategic location, south of Moor, close to the enemy's headquarters but well defensible and surrounded by woodlands. So this marriage between Xenia and Volwin is a partnership of two powers within Alfinland to unite against Moor. Neither Xenia nor Vulwyn look pleased to be there on their wedding day. It's held in the city's largest, most lavish cathedral which has been filled with flowers, decorations and guests they've never met or cared about. You see, most people in the city received an invitation. Although such a large amount of people could never fit in the cathedral, they were strongly encouraged to at least line the streets to cheer and throw flower petals at Princess Xenia's carriage as it paraded down the cobbled streets. Among the guests at the wedding though are our heroes. Killen, an elf whose remote home was destroyed in the war and as such he was forced to leave for the bigger cities and start again, and then there's Nico, who deserted from the front lines, this was during conscription and as such he's an outlaw. Then there's Luther, an eccentric wizard who believes that humanoids are not the only beings to hold magic energy, and as so he has spent years upon years attempting to unlock the magic potential of animals, he has a pet chicken named Drek and very low social skills. And lastly there's Gunlit, a furry, deep woodland hobbit who was forced to leave his tribe after he accidentally killed his leader while out hunting. Woodland hobbits are known as fuzzies by the general population due to their thick fur. This team met on a crossroads out in the Wilderlands, they happened to be migrating to Donvey at the same time. Suspicious and used to the roads where the enemy may attack you at any minute, they all drew their weapons, then discovered they had a common goal to reach the capital and find some kind of a living there. They spent the next few weeks traveling together and found they actually liked each other's company. In any case, now they stand at the back of the cathedral's main room, they've managed to secure a place in the actual ceremony hall. Although this was never discussed at the gaming table, I assume this is because they arrived early to take advantage of the free wine. So the wedding begins. Xenia, known by the locals as the Flame Princess due to her startling red hair, sits on a throne next to Volwyn, also on a throne. And Lord Alphen is giving a speech talking about the joining of nations, a new age of safety and prosperity, when a young black dragon bursts through the back wall of the cathedral, (laughs) destroying the thrones, the altar and severely hurting the bride and groom as they get crushed by large bits of cathedral wall. Lord Alfin is knocked several feet and all the guests start to scream in panic. As the dust clears, the heroes see the dragon has a chain around its neck, and that it's being led by two lowly, disgusting, foul-smelling goblins. One of which stands upon a pile of debris, jabbing at the crowd and screaming at them, while the other yanks on the chain around the dragon's neck. Every time the goblin pulls, the dragon lets out a breath of grave wind. Corpse dust, grave mould and tombstone chunks are blasted at the nearby attendees and they wither up instantly, their skin turning white and their bodies thinning then cracking. They take on the appearance of century-old corpses and lie motionless. It is now amongst the panic that Lord Alfin shows his bravery, or lack thereof. He stands atop a pew and begins to bark at the wedding attendees to kill that thing, pointing at the dragon. The heroes jump into action. First, Killin, seeing the density of the panicking crowd, attempts to hurl Gunlit over the top of them, the hope being that Gunlit will then use his spear to good effect on the dragon's unfortunate face. Sadly, Killin loses his grip mid-hobbit toss, and Gunlit lands only 10 feet away, landing straight into the center of the crowd. He does, however, continue to fight his way through screaming people to reach the enemies. Luther remains at the back, almost in a state of panic himself cowering in the corner, whilst Nico takes cover underneath a pew, watching the guests feet scramble to escape. One of the goblins reaches into the debris and grabs Zenya, the flame princess by the ankles, dragging her out as she screams and scrabbles for purchase, but sadly she cannot find anything to hold onto, just loose bits of rubble. The goblin talks of bringing her back to her master as he yanks her violently out the back. At this point Gunlit, the fuzzy, makes it to the front, leaps up on a church pew and engages in a wild melee with the goblin who holds the dragon's chains. The goblin releases the chain, exchanging his grip for his dagger and the two of them enter into a wild fight. The church is now empty except for our heroes, Alfin and the monsters. The rest of the team bolt forward drawing their weapons, but it's too late. The goblin who dragged the flame princess out the back hurls her onto the back of the dragon, mounts it himself and flies to the east. All the while Zenya screams and wails, begging to be let go or saved. Lord Alfin, seeing his daughter kidnapped by monsters, yells to the heroes, You lot! A fortune in gems if you find my daughter! Killen is quick to act. He sprints forward and pounces on the remaining goblin, pinning him to the ground and pressing a dagger to his ugly green throat. Where is the dragon taking her? He barks, frowning his most unsettling frown the goblin reveals that she's been taken to a lair to the east, he has limited understanding of the common tongue and has trouble articulating exactly where and so tying his hands and keeping him on a leash, Killen bids him to show them the way. Leaving the ruined cathedral and Domvay city behind, they let the goblin who reveals his name to be Grubbs lead the way, it's a fairly hefty 7 hour trek through the mostly featureless plains and rolling hills east of Domvay. But eventually they find that Grubbs was not leading them astray, they come to an entrance covered with a thick curtain of hanging vines in the side of a mountain, exactly as Grubbs had said. At this point the team begins to quiz him on what they will be likely to find inside. Luther threatens Grubbs with his dark chicken companion. Grubbs then starts to talk much louder, talking about how there will be no ambush! Well, the team are of course onto him and tell him to shut up, but Grubbs simply doesn't. He's obviously trying to call for help, and he's obviously trying to call for help, and he refuses to quiet down. So Killen tightens his leash, causing Grubbs to speak in a rasping, choking voice. However, they are ambushed. It appears Grubbs' calls did the trick. Above them, on a rocky outcropping, a goblin with a crude crossbow begins to fire upon them, while another, wielding a jagged dagger, rounds a corner just near the team. Killen takes a step back and begins to exchange shots with the crossbow goblin, while the rest pile onto the dagger wielding one. It's a short fight, and the dagger goblin is beaten to a pulp as blows rain down him from Luther, Gunlet, and Nico. Meanwhile, one precisely aimed shot, and the crossbowman is tumbling down the mountainside, hitting every rock on the way down. The daggerman did however manage to get one lucky shot in before his untimely demise. Nico was hit, during the melee with an unlucky shot his torso now bleeds profusely onto the floor through a wide slash in his leather armour. The rest of the team are obviously furious. Grubbs had caused a serious injury to one of their team and after knocking out several of his teeth killing titans Grubbs' leash even further. Although this was simply meant as a method to shut him up. Grubbs is choked to death, grabbing and grasping at the ropes around his neck, desperately trying to loosen them before slumping onto the floor with a bright purple face. Now, without a guide, the team enter through the vine curtain and see that they are in an ancient tomb or labyrinthine crypt. Taking a look at the construction of this place, Nico can see that this place was built by skilled hands, its walls adorned with carvings and made from smooth stone a different affair altogether from the usual goblin warren. In an attempt to find the correct route through the lair, Gunlit begins to search for footprints using his finely honed woodland survival techniques. He does in fact find some, fresh, in the dust of this strange place, some large, some small. He relays his findings to the rest of the team and surmises that half of the footprints belong to a dragon and half to a smaller creature, most likely a goblin. The heroes all choose to follow these prints which appear to lead to a room containing a fountain which glows with arcane energy. Luther, fascinated by this marvel which glows brilliantly in such a decrepit place, examines the runes on the outside of the fountain and the function of the thing. He's never seen these runes and cannot decipher the language but does note that although the fountain appears to fill and fill, it never spills over, the basin's contents always staying at the same height. Meanwhile, Nico and Gunlets continue to follow the tracks which lead through the lair. They go past the fountain and round a corner. This corner, however, is much more cave-like than what they've seen before. It reaches around into an opening which is also uneven, rocky and adorned with crude paintings of pointy-eared humanoid creatures. It's here that despite the increasing darkness as they venture in, Nico makes out a group of 5 goblins standing next to a bone throne. Nico ears Though a student of language and can understand every word, they argue about whose fault a previous incident was. The incident in question is unclear, though. Nico appears to have caught the tail end of the conversation. They talk about her being taken somewhere else and the big boss not being happy about something they did. Then they turn, cutting off their heated discussion, and see Nico standing in the entrance to the room. Um, hello, Nico says, distracting them as Gunlit skulks around to their backs, keeping to the shadows. The goblins are wary of Nico, but don't move to attack straight away. His brazen approach of simply walking up and talking to them appears to have caught them off guard. From the shadows, Gunlit's spear pierces through the chest of a goblin, and on that cue, Nico darts forward, pressing his hand to the face of another one. His hidden, spring loaded, wrist mounted dagger piercing a clean hole into the goblin's skull. Three remain. In the fountain room, Killen and Luther hear the telltale sounds of a fight starting up, and while Killen springs into action, drawing his bow and darting forward, Luther lurches forward shambling towards the brawl and saying, This again is it. Killen sidestepping through the cave pings off a few shots from his bow, but the goblin he aimed for sees the attack coming and ducks the arrow which hits the cavern wall with such ferocity that it breaks on impact. Nico rolls forward and hits that very goblin with another quick death using his arm dagger. Blood spurts from the goblin's skull as it hits the floor. Two goblins remain one which runs across the room in a mad dash to take out Killen, and another who's engaged in a fight with Gunlit. It's at this point that Luther finally enters the room. He raises his staff and casts fairy fire on the goblin which hurtles towards Killen. This spell brightly illuminates the bugger, giving Killen a much easier time hitting it. While the goblin does manage to wound kill him with a slash across the thigh, he steps back and shoots an arrow through the monster's chest, killing it instantly. At the same time, Gunlet dispatches his foe also, the goblin taking the pointy end of Gunlet's spear right through the neck. Covered in goblin blood, the heroes then have a chance to look around and take in their surroundings. They see a 30-foot cliff heading down deeper into the cave and a trail which bends to the right. Opting to choose the rightmost path, they follow the cave, and as they continue through, it gets darker. Not far away, they reach an underground river, chained to the wall nearby is the young black dragon they saw earlier. Chains around its neck, it screeches and roars, sending gusts of grave wind blasting into the ceiling of the cave. After its attempts at intimidation fail to scare off the heroes, it turns to look at them, thrashing and screeching. In an attempt to get out, it simultaneously lets out a huge gust of grave wind from its jagged maw. Although Killin and Gunlet are able to dodge the blast, Luther and Nico are not so lucky. Two mulled headstones and corpse juices buffet them wildly and knock them immediately unconscious. Killen races forward, dragging Luther and Nico's lifeless bodies into the previous chamber before bolting forward and rejoining the fight. As he enters the room, he sees that Gunlit has dragged the dragon by the chains around its neck and has pulled it underwater, whereupon Gunlit takes his spear and thrusts it into the dragon's eye. An almighty pained roar echoes through the cavern, and Killen dives into the water, quickly swimming to an outcropping of land behind the beast and attempts to hit it with shots from his bow. Sadly, the thrashing of the beast is too intense, and the shot misses. The dragon responds with another blast of its unholy breath weapon, and Killen is immediately downed also, leaving only Gunlet to fight the monster. Gunlit pulls his spear out, still hanging onto the chains, and stabs the dragon once again, but this time piercing the neck of the scaly beast. Sadly though, one huge retaliating swipe from the hideous beast and the battle is over. The heroes lie, scattered in the cavern, savaged. They awake an indeterminate amount of time later, in an infirmary. What looks to be a military hospital, many, many beds crowd the room, and they come to to see each other bandaged like the fallen soldiers who lie in the beds nearby. A healer at the back of the room mixes up potions and mutters to himself. As the heroes wonder what happened to them, Lord Alfin bursts through the door. I offered you a fortune in gems to find my daughter? He is furious. And you bring me naught but failure and cost our healer here valuable time? You owe the physician, of course, for the use of his services, and you're off the case. Go back to whatever you usually do. Before Alfin turns to leave, the party quiz him as to what happened and it turns out that Alfin had five minutes to think over his decision to send four strangers after his daughter's kidnappers and as such he enlisted a number of his men to follow behind and do the job. They went down the same catacombs and similarly found no girl, but they arrived just in time to drag the heroes to safety. And that is it for session one. Now, if you're wondering why everyone was knocked unconscious, but it wasn't actually a TPK, we are using Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Pretty much rules as written, with a couple of exceptions. First of all, we're using um, a different XP system, a slightly easier one. And in addition to that, we're using Fate Points from uh, Warhammer. So, because I thought it was kind of cool, and uh, I actually. Kind of like the way that the heroes in in Warhammer. The reason that they're slightly more survivable than any other character is because they kind of have, um, well, they they're, they're fated to do these missions that they're doing. As a result, the kind the kind of the way it works is uh, for humans. I believe you roll a D3 plus one, and you get that many fate points. When you die or are going to take a critical hit that will you know maim you or, or leave you in in a different state than you were before, you spend a fate point and then your character doesn't die okay and i know it's ever so slightly wimpish but bear in mind every single character had to spend one to have their fate kind of changed i guess it is and what happened is is that after the battle then i said okay you 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 know you your vision fades to black and you you wake up in the infirmary essentially and that that's how i kind of did it um, second of all, they most of them actually only started with two. I think one of them started with one, so he spent it, and everyone else is down to one. And once you spend a fake point, you can never, ever get it back. So it's actually kind of a cool system for just making the beginning of OSR games ever so slightly more survivable. Now, I completely agree that many people will probably say this is against the spirit of things in OSR. Death is a big thing, and I completely agree. And the thing about this is that Lamentations is a very, very hard game, and the players are still likely to completely die, fake points or no fake points, uh, as if they don't play carefully and if they don't play in a considered manner. So, I, I, I personally think it's pretty cool, and it, and it resulted in a, a cool story. So I, I don't really mind, and uh, it actually ended up being a really, really fun session. Because the thing is, what, because what they could have done is, is run from the dragon. You know, uh, this is going to be a sandbox game, and as a result. Not everything they encounter is going to be to their level. And this was kind of, because we're starting out playing this new game, this was kind of the lesson I was trying to get across. Yet this thing is in part of a quest, but they kind of uh, did have the option to run. Or they did have the option to go, fuck this, go back to town, get some supplies, and then take it on in a bit of a better manner. But instead, they chose to stay and fight, and everyone lost the fate point. Now they're ever so closer to death which is kind of cool and also another thing is is that young dragons are extremely powerful so how the fuck did a bunch of goblins manage to uh, take control of one well that is part of the mystery and it's something that hopefully i think they're going to start unraveling in the next session so stay tuned and we will uh we, we will be back with another campaign diary Alright, thanks for listening, and obviously if you want to contact us, uh, we've got our email address, that's 3trpgpod at gmail.com, and we're on Facebook, Twitter, MeWe, all of that good stuff. If you like the show, please donate on Patreon, because, you know, it, we, we do work hard on this, so yeah, cheers for that, and uh, I will see you next time.